Welcome to the Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose podcast. This podcast showcases inspiring appraisers and professionals from the industry who are leaders in their field. How did they get to where they are? What have they learned along the way? And what do they do now for their teams, their clients, and the industry? Your host is real estate investor, entrepreneur, and appraiser, Michael Hobbs. Well, welcome back. It is an exciting time here again. We have another distinguished, experienced, and just all-around interesting peer of the industry. This week, we are really honored to have John Brennan with us. You're going to hear a lot about John, maybe some things you didn't even know. But most importantly, each and every time we come together, it's just an opportunity to learn from a peer about, hey, how did you end up in the industry? Were you born this way? You know, did you matriculate? Did you take a wrong turn at Albuquerque? If we go back and quote Bugs Bunny. And how along the way has that led you through different experiences to ultimately, most recently worked with or worked on and, you know, your outlook and what's next in the industry. So with that, John, thanks for joining us. Hey, Michael, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. It is definitely a pleasure. So, John, we always like to kick off with this question. So were you born this way or did you kind of segue into the industry? I'm not sure how I was born, but I do know that it wasn't as an appraiser and it was definitely more of a, a second thought and a pleasant accident. Pleasant accident. Well, that's a fantastic way to describe it. So how'd you get started out and how did you ultimately get into the industry? So it was interesting, you know, immediately I'll give away my age if it isn't already obvious. I was in college. I was working part-time while I was in college because I paid my own way, which I'm proud of. And I was working at a savings and loan. Oh, and so wow. for any younger viewers, you might need to go Wikipedia and check that out. But <laughs> uh, but I was working as a teller. I was working in a branch as a teller for a couple of years. And then the plan was when I graduated college, I was a business major and a management uh, option. And the plan was to go into the savings and loans branch manager training program. Oh, nice. Where I would ultimately become a manager of, of one of the branches. So I was kind of following that path. And it got to the point where I was like a week or two away from graduation. So they asked me to go down and sign up for the branch manager training program. So I went down to that office and a friend of mine who worked for the savings loan was working as an appraiser. I knew him very well, but I had no idea what he did. <laughs> he said, oh, I'm an appraiser. I thought, that's really nice. I he never even thought twice to really dig into what he did. But he said, you know, you're going down to the office and it's right across the street from our office. Why don't you come in and, and have a chat with my boss about what? what? He's like, well, maybe about being an appraiser. And I'm like, this sounds strange. <laughs> but I said, what the heck? I'm down here. You know, it was, it was probably like 45 minutes from home. So I'm sure. like, down there, why not? So I went over and started talking to the chief appraiser there. You know, he said, he told me a little bit about appraising and what they do and how they do it. And, you know, he said, look, he said, and he's a really cool, casual guy, you know, and he's like, this is Southern California. It's like everybody's cool and relaxed, right? That's nice. He's like, hey, man, just give it a try for six months. If you don't like it, you can always go back into the branch manager training program. No harm, no foul. I'm like, okay, well, it doesn't sound bad. Set your own schedule, get out and about, not be stuck in an office, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I kind of like that, right? Sounds nice. So I did it. I tried it. I really enjoyed it. Started appraising houses, um, just like so many of our counterparts do. Did that for a couple of years and then started to, with the same savings and loan, 
then started to get into commercial, you know, went into apartments, then into non-residential, commercial, industrial, retail, whole slew of, of different types of commercial properties. And did that for a few years, actually moved to another savings and loan and did the same thing with them. Then ultimately I went to, I kind of pivoted and I was offered a job running in a residential appraisal district for a large financial institution, one that still exists today. Oh, wow. So you came out of the SNL world and you moved over into a much bigger footprint. Correct. Correct. And despite my involvement, that bank does still exist today and is doing very, very well. But I had a great, it was a great experience there building a staff, really getting for the first time, real practical management experience. You know, before I was more of a production appraiser and now I was able to kind of manage an office and see different ways to do things. So that was a great experience for me. You know, then I started realizing at some point I want to do a little bit more than just do the job. I want to kind of be involved, maybe on a different perspective. And just at that time, state licensing of appraisers came about, thanks to our friend Firea in 1980. The state of California, where I reside, started sending out solicitations for people to possibly come to work for them. Well, I submitted an application and lo and behold, I was hired by the state of California and worked there for about eight and a half years. I ended up as the chief of licensing and enforcement. So we had a director that I reported to, but I basically was responsible for a lot of what, a lot of what happens in the office when it comes to either the licensing of appraisers or discipline and and enforcement. I did that for quite some time, as I mentioned, and because California was the biggest state in terms of a real estate appraiser licensing program, there was a lot of visibility for me. And so that's when I was able to look to the Appraisal Foundation, which was on a national scale because there was familiarity with what I had done. I went to work in October of 2003 for the Appraisal Foundation and spent a a little 16 and a half year stint there. (laughs) And that was fascinating. I mean, you know, I really, it really opened my eyes a lot to not only real estate appraisal and standards and qualifications, just stuff I already had some familiarity with, of course, because of my state experience, but really seeing, for lack of a better word, how the sausage is made and things to think about and that, you know, maybe I hadn't really had as wide a perspective on. I did, I really thoroughly enjoyed that experience. I was able to convince them to let me stay in California while working for the foundation that at that time, Nobody had ever worked outside the foundation office in Washington, D.C. Oh, so that was a coup for me. So did that in then until early 2020, right at the time of the pandemic. I went over to become the chief appraiser and vice president of valuation policy at Clear Capital, which is where I am today. So what I really like to say is that I feel very, very, very grateful that I've been able to work in different arenas within the profession that have really allowed me to see different perspectives, you know, different ways yeah. of looking at things. Attending these meetings where people would bring up a concern about maybe a proposed change to use path that I'm like, wow, I've never heard that before. Or thinking about changing requirements to become an appraiser and somebody bringing up something else. You know, just all the things that surround our industry and what we do and really being able to hear the different voices and different perspectives, I feel that has benefited me greatly because now when an issue or a topic comes up, 
I don't just think of it, I'll put my head down. This is how we do things. I think about the different ways and the different people that are impacted and the different areas that are impacted. And I think it's made me a better practitioner and have a better handle on the industry. I totally appreciate that. Wow. Fascinating. So, John, when you think back to how you started out at the SNL and you're kind of headed down the hallway, it's like, hey, well, why don't you come talk to my boss kind of thing? Had that opportunity to first savings alone and then another savings loan. What was your interest in kind of changing your employment and or responsibilities? Was that just an innate experience or innate desire of yours? Or was that just like, were you seeing signs or trends? Yeah, you know, I'd like to say that I had a really good handle on the real estate market and the trends surrounding it, but but I'd be lying, and so I'm not <laughs> going to do that. I'll say that the skills and abilities to be an appraiser really interested me. I mean, yeah. I always liked a little bit of research, a little bit of investigation, but, you know, honestly, the, that teamed with the idea of a residential appraising where you're out seeing new properties every day or every other day or whatever, and you really get what I feel is this better comprehensive view of, of a real estate market. I really appreciated that so much so to the fact that I enjoyed commercial appraising. It's really a different breed for those who may not have tried it. You know, you yes, use you know, you know, Michael, and you, sp- <laughs> you spend a lot of time. You could be appraising a, a multi-tenant shopping center and you get to re- read through 20, 30, 50, 75, 50-page leases for when the escalations come, what kind of expense pass-throughs are there. It really becomes an analytical, a heavy analytical process. Um, not the residential appraising doesn't, but you stay more fixated on that one property with all the various aspects of it. And so for me, I didn't enjoy that as much as being able to get out and say, okay, here's a house on Main Street. I've done the job on that house. I've fixed, I've addressed that problem. It's a solution. It's over. Let's move on to this house on Elm Street. It's, It's one of those things where you just don't, you're able to see a problem, find a solution, get it, move on to the next one. And I felt I felt that that was more my personal liking than really doing a deep dive and digging in on a very complex property that it wasn't uncommon to take six or eight weeks to perform an appraisal on a complex commercial property, which again, I mean, I've got many friends and, and colleagues in this business that that's what they do and they love it. And that's fantastic. I don't dislike it. I just like other side of it better. Well, what a fascinating intersection. Heard from others, and I think I'm hearing it for your experience as well, that you were in the profession, then this thing called FIREA came into existence. And at that time, as opposed to kind of staying where you're at, you chose to make a significant change in employment. Yeah. I had never really thought about being a public servant, (laughs) if you will. I think that I found it admirable, but I really didn't have a full appreciation for what it meant to give back. When I went to work for the state, to be perfectly honest, I mean, one of the things that was nice was the benefits package. I had two small daughters at that time, less than five years old. We see the cycles, much like we see right now, trying to plan and and build a solid foundation like that. I thought this working for the state is good, but I'll tell you what, the benefit 
of really seeing what it means to give back, which stayed with me not only through the state, but certainly through my time at the Appraisal Foundation and even into my time at Clear Capital, I, you know, even though it's been different venues, I still believe that I try to do things to benefit our industry and benefit our colleagues in the in appraisal business. So it's just doing it from different tacks, you know? So, yeah. so yeah, I did kind of switch gears there, went with the state, and I'm really glad I did. I feel like I was able to really gain that appreciation for trying to do something that could benefit others. That is uh, absolutely fantastic. And again, that's just a personal interest of yours and what an impact it's had along the way. What prompted you to even consider making such a significant change out of a, you know, what we call a in-the-field appraiser versus someone who's, you know, really kind of behind a desk, so to speak, and dealing with policy as opposed to actually getting out touching properties? I think that my main, the main impetus was try to do more. I mean, I, I feel like after having done the residential appraisal and done the commercial appraisal and then managed an appraisal office, what else is there? Well, you know, what can I do? And I felt like, you know, being able to work on that level from a regulatory regime type approach, and then again, subsequently with the appraisal foundation and such, it really felt like I was taking a step into another direction. And I felt it very rewarding. And I thought that, you know what, there are different ways to accomplish things and be able to work in an industry where I could do well for myself, but also do well for others. That was, that really shined to me. I, and I thought that was something that, that I could pick up for the rest of my career. It's fascinating. And most people will never have the opportunity that you did to not just serve the public. A number of our peers do get an opportunity to maybe join a board from a uh, licensing or disciplinary standpoint, but to actually be, in this case, an employed individual of a state. What kind of things, like, what does it look like behind the curtain? It's something that most people, myself included, have no idea. Just kind of look at it as, Oh, you must have a desk with a nice little placard that has your name on it when you walk up <laughs> somewhere in maybe a cube farm. I'm not saying that was the case, but it probably was. And therefore, but what does that look like on a day-to-day or week-to-week or month-to-month kind of basis in terms of making that transition and then really being there? Well, first, I'd have to say your mileage may vary, right? <laughs> I mean, one thing I've learned, and particularly in my experience at the Appraisal Foundation, is not all states operate the exact same way. Of course. For example, in California... We do not have a real estate appraiser board. We did not from day one, and we still don't. We have an actual government state agency that administers and regulates appraisers. Other states have state boards where the board interacts with administrative personnel within the state to accomplish its goals. So I can't say that I, I can give an answer that would be that would cover all bases, but I will say this. It's a pretty well-defined way to see what needs to be done and then manage the resources that you have to accomplish that. So in other words, listen, state budgets are state budgets. Yeah. And when you're talking about an agency that regulates real estate appraisers, I will say this, you are not at the top of the list. <laughs> things like building your roads. Come and, and on, are, you, are you sure? I mean, I, I tried that, Michael. <laughs> I I tried that. I tried convincing them that appraisers were more important than, so than public safety and all that. They, oh they didn't goodness. want to listen to it. Yeah. It's it another was form of public safety. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. 
But right from the bat, you've got resource limitations, right? You're not going to be able to work like you do in, in private sector where you can just go out, things get busy, you hire more people. You look for a new revenue by trying to attract new clients and market yourself. This is different. You know, there are constraints there. It doesn't mean you can't make cases for additional resources, but it's not as easy as it sounds to get those allocated. So the first thing you, you really have to come to grips with is, what needs to be done and what are my resources to do it? So that was a learning experience. Another part of that that was interesting is trying to come up with innovative ways that would benefit the constituents, in this case, licensed real estate appraisers, without impeding too much. I like all uh, this story that we toyed with this idea when we had a new director come in while I was with the state of California that said, you know, hey, how about we contact appraisers and say, free of charge, no questions asked, we'll come to your office, we'll see how you're doing things and give you some suggestions on how to do things better. Now, unless we see like major fraud or serious illegal activity, you're not going to get in trouble here. This is just kind of a, a suggestion. <laughs> I'm guessing by your reaction that you you know how Greenfords reacted to that. Oh, my God. That went over like a lead balloon, didn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Stay out of our office. No matter I'm, how well-intentioned they may be, and it might have been very well-intended, but the absolutely. skeptical side of things. Absolutely right. You know, we actually did try to implement that. We're from the government, and we're here to help routine. <laughs> <laughs> it did not go over. So, but again, I applaud the idea that we're trying to do something different, trying to do something instead of just saying, we're taking your fees. And if somebody files a complaint against you, we're going to investigate it. You could be in trouble. That's most people think of when they think of the state appraiser regulatory, which is, of course, a primary function, but trying to find another way to add value and to be able to, to be a resource or a benefit to appraisers is something that, that I was passionate about. And, you know, as uh, with the example, some work better than others. That's quite an experience. And one, only because very early on for me, I did have the benefit of working for a uh, government-funded uh, national laboratory. And I got just the slightest of exposure to what it, that, that concept of government budgets and approval processes and, and things that I was like, oh, just shoot me. <laughs> this is not for me. Thank you for the job offer after college. No chance I'm coming here. But it really is an eye-opener of how much of work gets done because that's the process. Right or wrong isn't the judgment on it. It's just that's the way it's going. And if you're part of it, you have to participate in it. And in your case, as well as I think many others that choose to be a public servant, especially in this line of work, it's a desire to have an impact and make things better in their own way. Maybe a huge way, maybe in a little way. As you pointed out, you know, California, not necessarily like all other states, but nonetheless, the intention is to uphold, preserve, and protect the profession. You don't want to regulate it out of existence. That serves nobody. Yeah, absolutely. You're 100% right. And, and you know, I mean, I'd be remiss to not mention that it's, in fact, there's bureaucracy. You got to know that going in. And you, know, you deal with that to the best of your ability and such. And you're going to get that pretty much everywhere, unless you happen to be in a small, agile, you know, company that is cutting edge and is always looking to, to do things better. And that's fantastic for those that exist. But uh -huh. the government agencies, the big companies and such, you know, you're going to run into a certain level of bureaucracy. 
That's why so many of our appraisers, the independent fee appraisers, are just that. And they tend to shy away from some of those bigger companies and, and groups so that they can they can do what they want to do with less, I don't want to say interference, but I guess I, did, I just did. So Well, independence. I think there's, for many people, I'm painting a very broad brush, but I think there's a strong sense of independence for a, a number of people throughout the profession, maybe a larger percentage than maybe other professions. And, and that may be one of the reasons why it's, in a sense, grown the way it has to this point, but maybe not grown the way other professions have grown. That at the same, if we want to go back to a certain marker in time, say the launch of FIREA, looked at competing industries and said, hey, what was the size of that industry in terms of number of professionals? And look at where that industry's at today versus where this industry's at. And you're like, wow, what a difference. Maybe that contributed to it. Maybe it was other stuff too. This has been, for lack of a better word, I, people call them cottage industries and such. I think it, at the appraisal industry, it, this is not something I would love to hear how many people have gone to their high school guidance counselor when they're trying to decide what they want to do. And he said, why don't you be an appraiser? He or she said, why don't you be an appraiser? That just doesn't happen. And in fact, so few people know about appraisal as a career until somebody sure. says like they did with me. You want to be an uh -huh. appraiser? And it's like, what is an appraiser? So that was, <laughs> those were some of the things that we were trying to do and even still try to do in terms of getting in front of, at college fairs, job fairs, even high school career fairs and things like that, trying to build up the industry that we've heard over and over again about the graying of the profession. And, and again, I'll take gray hair any day. It beats no hair at all. But I think that that the idea that we need to replenish the ranks, we need to make sure that we not only get more appraisers, but more diverse appraisers, really some directed outreach, things like different colleges and universities and high schools and ways to be able to, to impact that at a grassroots level is really something needs to happen. And we've got some people doing things like that with our appraiser diversity initiative and things along those lines that are really trying to make a difference there. And in many cases, are absolutely helping the situation. No, I appreciate that. I mean, and so here you get this opportunity to go from someone who's working at an SNL to working in another SNL to end up at a, an appraisal firm, start out in residential and you get a commercial experience. Then from there, you move into public service. You spend nearly a decade in that role and then you, you move on to more public service on a much grander level. And of course, your uh, negotiating tactics of securing your place of employment in California, as opposed to having, and not to, you know, big fan of DC, but uh, hey, nothing wrong with staying in California either. From that standpoint, what changed in terms of your involvement and in terms of what the activities that you were responsible for, both from a personal standpoint, because, you know, maybe you had all the skills you need, or maybe there's still a lot more to learn and grow, but also from a, a an impact standpoint. When you start acting as an appraiser, you know, you are focused on how things impact you and you, know, you really don't have time and energy to think about the bigger picture that much. And so I think that when I was fortunate enough to get into managing an appraisal district, I was able to see more of the another side of the industry where it's like, okay, we need to do things for our appraisers, like provide education for them, encourage education. And then as licensing started to come about, help them get their licenses, help them, you know, think about things like E&L insurance and things like that. All the kind of things that when you're a field appraiser and you just put your head down and do the work that you don't necessarily think about. So I think that that kind of grabbed my attention. And then when I was able to translate to being able to actually be part of 
of the entity that that does license and regulate regulate appraisers it it made it helped i kind of like fueled my fire a little bit more i i think that you know for example like when i got involved on the enforcements there are different philosophies in enforcement i'm not even talking about specific to appraisers right now but there are entities that you know really want to be punitive for example that feel like if somebody does something wrong they need to be dealt with harshly and so that never happens again there are others that and this was the approach that we tried to take when i was with the state of california is let's focus on education and prevention first let's try to help appraisers understand what the rules of the road are if they continue to violate them either a they're not capable of understanding them or b they don't want to understand them and that's when you can get more serious with discipline but my perspective was you have such a small percentage and i mean almost not even getting the needle to move of appraisers that i ever thought were trying to do something wrong we do have some notable exceptions <laughs> i still remember some of those appraisers names some of them serve time in, in oh, prison but overwhelming majority and i mean virtually all you know are trying to do a good job they may not have had the proper supervision and training. They may not have had the proper education. They may not have had certain tools that really would benefit them in an assignment or a series of assignments that might be a little bit beyond their normal comfort zone. I don't think it's fair to hold those appraisers harshly and somehow have a, a detrimental effect on their potential career and their livelihoods. I think instead, you take those appraisers, you try to get them the education and the training that they need, and then see how they do. In the vast majority of cases, they improve. You never hear from them again. I have a lot of friends that are appraisers in California. You know, I, that I used to say, you know, in most cases, it's not good if I know your name. You know, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to know your name. But that is an exception to my friends and colleagues, you know, in California. But even the ones that, that I knew through some sort of enforcement action, whether it be through requiring some additional coursework or whatever, I'll tell you what, I, there are some people out there that reached out to me well after the fact and really appreciated the way that we tried to go about doing things instead of just you know, either slapping their hand or giving them some sort of debilitating penalty that was going to impact the rest of their career. And that made me feel really good, you know, that somebody who has had something negative happen to them, thanking you for that experience. That's, to me, that made it very worthwhile. That's a very different approach, as you touch on, from being punitive as opposed to being restorative. You know, it's one of the tough things, and I didn't hear you necessarily say this, but I kind of read between the lines that I think it's very much there, which is, am I going to try and judge intent, or am I going to be able to look at what's on the surface as much as I can understand, and then make an informed decision to take action from there, and give people the benefit of the doubt? As you touched on in your experience, which is very encouraging to hear, I would have expected that, but it's great to hear it. And that is people who get in this profession want to be in this profession. There are characteristics of the, their own characteristics as well as they feel that align with the positives, the benefits of being in this type of industry, being in this profession, not a job, but this profession. And therefore, they're pursuing that. 
And, you know, who hasn't? It's like asking, you know, who are people? How many people here have never been in an auto accident? You know, I don't know that most people go out and choose to get in an auto accident, but sometimes you end up in one. And then, you know, hey, sometimes, baby, there's some remedial things we could go over to help you be even better and prevent that in the future because maybe you contributed to it as opposed to you intentionally went out and T-boned a car. No, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, right. And with appraisal, it's even more nuanced because, look, at the end of the day, we're regulating opinions. Now, Mm -hmm. it's a good point. That is very different than a very black and white type situation like, did you follow code properly if you're a building contractor? The code is in the book or online and you have to follow it. Did you or didn't you? When I say I put most weight on comp three because I believe it's most similar, attracts a similar type of buyer, that's my opinion. Now, you can't make wild opinions. You got to have something to base those on. But again, it's it, it comes down to whether or not you want to take the approach that somebody's doing something wrong or that they're doing they're they're trying to do it right. They may need a little bit of help to get there. And from that, it came on came along the opportunity for you to leave public service, go back into the private sector. What uh, it, to the best you can at that time, what were you looking ahead towards an opportunity? Granted, things have changed significantly since uh, the economic times that had you leave there. But what was your focus on? What were you looking out towards? It's funny because, you know, different organizations have different roles for people that have the same title. So when I became chief appraiser, I was not involved and have not been involved directly in the operations side. I don't sit and look at, you know, well, what's our turnaround time like? How many appraisers are on our panel? Do we have coverage here and there? We had an an appraisal services group that does just that. So when I came into private sector, my role as chief appraiser was about valuation policy. It was about advocacy. It was about vision. It was about how are we going to embrace the future? How do we align with that how do we get to where we want to be and be able to navigate the current industry and regulatory constraints that may be holding us back? So it was, it still allowed me, and this is why I did it. It still allowed me to kind of use my navigational abilities to figure out where we're going, what we want to do, what's out there, what are some future possibilities as opposed to the daily uh, routine of, you know, well, we need to onboard another client or whatever. Again, not that I had no involvement with any of that. I mean, I've certainly been involved with, you know, some of our larger clients and our meetings about different things going on, but it's been really, really nice to be able to keep that kind of bigger picture perspective. And that's what attracted me. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And I'm, I'm encouraged to uh, hear more, uh, see, but if everyone else is listening, they hear that your appraisal trainee came and joined us as well. Yeah. Um, how, now, how would you rate the performance of your appraisal trainee? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'll tell you what. Any trainee has sits on a pedestal for me because what it takes to actually become an appraiser as from a trainee standpoint today, I think, you know, it is no secret to anybody who's watching this that it is a thankless effort, easy to get the education, the experience, whoa, you know, you hit, you hit a roadblock there. We have, there's a lot, and I could talk at length about, you know, some of the problems along there, but, you know, I would say this, that in general, people that make it through that process and that start from the trainee and are able to move up, they have absolutely 
shown what it takes. I mean, they, they, they are demonstrating metal, grit, intelligence, you name it. Yeah, absolutely. Hats off. I love to hear <laughs> successful trainee stories. And particularly what came to mind there is when I heard the audible sound of your trainee coming in the room was uh, two of our team members this morning. One of them was uh, dropping off his son at school. I was like, look, you don't need a Tesla. You've got your little, you got your pup there driving the vehicle. And another routinely has her lovely, I believe he's a poodle. And as soon as I say that, she's going to tell me I'm wrong. We just got a haircut right there alongside uh, helping select comparables. I mean, it's so important for their input. Uh, How good is your trainee? I couldn't do anything without her. She is, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like every once in a while, I'm not sure about something. She'll put her paw on the mouse and she'll oh, kind nice. of put me in the right direction and let me know when I've stepped out of bounds. So <laughs> yeah, I, I lean on her a lot. <laughs> Thank goodness for this uh, remote working capability so that we can upskill together. That's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is a whole different kind of we work, I think. Oh my gosh. That is fantastic. That is a whole different kind of we work. Uh, I, I love that. That's a good reference. What? Uh, how, how old is uh, your four-legged trainee and how long have they been training with you? So she, to the best of my knowledge, she's about four. I got oh, her okay. as a rescue. She was found roaming the streets of Monterey, California, which I guess if you're going to roam the streets, there's worse places to be. Yeah, there's uh, a lot worse places than Monterey to roam. <laughs> she was found by the pound and then turned over to a rescue organization that I've been, I've actually had a couple of dogs I've gotten through. So I got her a couple of years ago and she has been great. She was, you know, it took her a little while to learn her new environment and that this was her new home, but she has fit in fantastically. And I, I am so, I couldn't, can't imagine not, not having her around. What breed? She's a lap. Oh, lap. Fantastic. Yeah. Pick a great breed to join you for all your getting out of the house appraisal assignments. Yeah, I've I've had golden retrievers before. This is a little, but she's a little bit different. Most notably in the shedding department, because uh, because wow, it's almost like a magic trick, man. I I can, you just can't imagine how more hair keeps coming off. But there's worse problems. That's indeed a challenge. I appreciate your ability to handle all the shedding. (laughs) It's in and of itself. So one of the things that might also be of interest to, you know, I, I, something of interest to me, but also for others, is how have you been able to like maintain your involvement in and around the industry, but also maintain a balance in terms of like your actual own life, like a sense of who you are and what you do outside of your professional endeavors? I think that it's, you know, I mean, one of the things that we've seen, there's so much bad that came from the pandemic and, you know, we're, we, you know, lost people, we still seen lingering effects, but one good thing is I do think that there was more recognition of a proper work-life balance. I feel like to, with some exceptions, I feel like I've always been able to keep the personal side of my life and enjoy it. I've been fortunate enough to to do a lot of fun stuff, whether it be uh, like with music or cars. These are the hey, nice. those are my hobbies. Uh, I don't play music. Let's just get that clear right now. I don't put an instrument in my hands because <laughs> it's against the law in at least eighteen states. Right? Um, <laughs> but I love music. I love live music. I've gotten to be involved with a couple of bands that I've gotten a chance to meet. You know, that's great. Here a little music video with a car of mine and things like that. And so wonderful. Yeah. Fun stuff like that. So I, you know, I think the real long winded answer to your question is I think is vitally important. I think that finally there's become more and more recognition that to be a happy employee, you have to be a happy person. 
And if you are unhappy because your personal life is not gratifying or you're not able to do the things you really enjoy and you really love, um, that eventually, ultimately, is going to impact your job performance. So I try not to take life too seriously, you know, that the old saying, you know, you shouldn't do that. You're never going to get out of it alive. So <laughs> try to enjoy myself as much as possible. And I, and I really try not to take myself too seriously. I mean, I, I really feel blessed that I've had experiences that have taught me a lot and, and hopefully I can share some of that with people when appropriate. But I certainly understand that this is all just part of the game of life. Let's just try to enjoy it while we're doing it. What uh, Do you see any similarities between some of your, uh, I should say, uh, involvement in music and or music videos and cars? I mean, is there any crossover between that and what you have experienced and enjoyed around the appraisal profession? Uh, you know, that's a great point. I will say this, that, you know, the cars that, the cars that I've worked on and I've restored are rather simplistic. I really haven't got into restoring anything like from the 1970s current. Matter of fact, my regular daily driver, I don't even change the oil on that. I, I have it done, <laughs> but give me a 60s Chevy and I can tear the engine apart and I can rebuild the whole car mechanically. Because it's just, it's logical. You're able to look at what was done and see it and figure it out. In that way, I guess there is some similarity from an appraisal standpoint. When you look at somebody's appraisal, you look at, you know, what they identified as the market area. And please, let's not say neighborhood. There's, my opinion, there's no reason to even have a neighborhood description in an appraisal report because it's irrelevant. All we care about Boom. is the market area where buyers and sellers are looking for properties. Sorry, I had to get on that soapbox for a second. That's all right. You know, you got to get it off, off your chest. Happy to give you a place to do that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. But, you know, you can see things like, you know, okay, they came up with this highest and best use analysis. Maybe on a residential property, it's not as complicated as it is on others. But you can look at the factors that they were considered and say, yeah, I get it. I get it. And even if kind of like what we alluded to earlier, you may not agree 100%. Did they present their argument? Do they have something to support it? And at the end of the day, if you don't agree, you don't agree, but is it material? Oh. And is it something that is going to affect the credibility of the assignment results? That's really what it comes down to. And so I think in that way, you can look at an appraisal like a 1957 Chevy and say, well, you know, how did they do this? Okay, I see how they did it. Pretty cool way to figure that out. Maybe not as cool way as I would have thought this way, but you still get it. That's a great connection. And having not uh, restored anywhere near the volume of vehicles that you have, but nonetheless, bringing out that perspective is helpful to see the, the approach and ultimately uh, the result. And I mean, in your case, uh, you know, congratulations for you. For other people also seeing the value in uh, some of your results, you're the only appraiser I know that has been in a music video. So congratulations. <laughs> well, well, don't blink because you'll miss it. My car is in there a lot more than I am, but um, but yeah, it's it was fun. It was a great experience. So given the experience you've had, which is really fascinating, you know, because some some people will come to this and be like, well, I, I don't don't know John, but now I have kind of a little sense of John. And wow, here's where he started out in, in a very local form of employment. He stepped up, then he stepped over, then he stepped up again, then he stepped over. And they, they really get the sense that there is no straight path in the profession. And I, I think my assessment is your career really highlights that. There, it can go in many different 
directions. And although not everyone has the privilege of seeing how young you are, and you're making joking reference to your age, but nonetheless, young at heart, if not uh, just outright young, how do you see you know your opportunity to contribute over the next course of, of your career in this profession? Hopefully this is an example. Hopefully I, I've been able to be an example for others. You know, people shouldn't, you know, you should never feel pigeonholed. You may temporarily be, but you never know what doors will open tomorrow. And if you keep an open mind and you have a bigger sense of purpose, in my case, I really did want to give back. I don't think I ever really had come up with that idea clearly in my head until I kind of got the opportunity. And I realized that's what I wanted to do. That, and so I was lucky in a way to kind of find that. But I think that, that it's important to do well at what you do and at the same time, be able to keep your eye open for opportunities that may take you in a slightly different direction that you hadn't planned. I think it's great. One of the things that we're seeing that, you know, I'm starting to see more and more and more is that appraisers really trying to take what they do and make it a business. For a long mm. time, you know, appraisers, I know many appraisers who the business was simply, you know, way back then, you know, getting a fax for an assignment, then an email, now a text message. Do you want to bid on this? That's not the business. That's one little part of the business. You know, what about marketing yourself? What about going out and working with clients, business development? What about those things? I'm starting to see more of that. And that is really refreshing to me. From my perspective, where do I, you know, where I go from here, I want to continue to do something that is meaningful razors, whether or not, it, whether that's in private sector, public sector, a combination, it's in some sort of consulting capacity. You know, I want to be able to try to make it a better place for appraisers. And when you make it better for appraisers, you're going to be making it better for the clients as well. You know, this is, I've never been one-sided to say that appraisers should tell the clients, this is how it would be and, and expect that. You know, clients have a business, they have a reason for needing what they need. And it, what really comes down to being able to marry those two together for our industry to make it work properly. So I want to be able to have a positive impact on that in whatever capacity I can. No, I appreciate that. And then the question we always love to hear a perspective on is, you know, as you look ahead in the industry, what intrigues you, inspires you, concerns you? Yeah. So well, I guess one of the things that I think that we are, yeah, a lot of, lot of viewers are probably familiar with hearing about appraisal modernization. There are many who think that that means no appraiser. And I would say that's, from what I know, that is not true, that appraisers are still and always will be a piece of an important piece of the puzzle. When will there be as many appraisals ordered, maybe not, as things like automated valuations with the GSEs and others start to proliferate more and become more efficient, more effective? Will some of those, like we saw with appraisal waivers, will that take some of that business? It's certainly possible. But the one thing that I've said in numerous interviews and papers is the most important thing that I think appraisers have to do is to not just wholly reject change. You know, every single profession, every single industry 
has been impacted and will continue to be impacted by key, whether it's change in technology, regulations, whatever. And to say, I'm not going to change means you're going to be left on the platform while the train pulls away. So while it may not be the same that you've been used to, please consider changing the way that you look at things and find a way to stay in the game. And the reason that's so important to me is it's I feel like if enough appraisers, you know, put up their hands and say, no, we're not going to consider things like hybrid or desktop appraisal, things like sure. that they will find a way to not need us any. And that's the last thing I want. I want appraisers to remain relevant. The saying goes, you know, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance a lot. <laughs> that's my mantra. Understand the world changes and you can either change along with it or you can stay where you are, but don't blame others if you decide to if you decide not to adapt and you find yourself on the outside looking in. I appreciate that, John. That that's really helpful. You know, one of the wonderful things we've gotten feedback on through our early sessions is not just people in the profession are having an opportunity to come across uh, this podcast and it's being shared with peers, but many people who have no knowledge of the valuation profession, maybe they've intersected with an appraiser at one point in their life, literally for a walkthrough, maybe on a refinance, probably not on a purchase uh, because they weren't necessarily a broker, but people that uh, had never even thought about this industry or getting an opportunity to consider it. For those people, either that maybe earlier on, maybe they're in their first or second SNL opportunity, or they're in a different profession, but might consider this what words of encouragement or outlook would you have for them? Well, I think, first of all, first and foremost, I think appraisal is a great career. I mean, I feel very beneficial to have stumbled across it myself. And, you know, there's a reason that I'm in my 40th year doing this. I believe it's great. I think it still has great opportunity. Again, is does it look exactly like it did? I mean, when I started, we were doing appraisals, filling out forms and pencil and giving them to a secretary to type on. No, it's different. It's very different, yep. but that's irrelevant. I think that the, the most important thing to understand is that there are opportunities, there will be opportunities, and there are a lot of positive aspects of this business. I think that those who, who may not have the familiarity with it um, don't necessarily understand all of the aspects. They don't necessarily understand exactly what it looks like because, again, it's not something that is, you know, an everyday occurrence. Like you said, somebody may be buying a house for the first time, may not have even been aware of the appraisal other than, you know, there was some clause in there in their purchase contract about it. But, you know, you refinance a house and you understand, well, I need an appraisal to make sure that the bank is able to lend me the money that I want on my property. And you understand it and get a little more context. I think that it is something that I would encourage people to consider I do think that there, the positives outweigh any perceived negatives, and I think that, that hopefully it will remain viable for many, many years to come. Oh, that's really encouraging. Well, John, I, I really appreciate it. It's always great to hear some perspective, provide a spotlight on a pathway that most people will never have an opportunity necessary to meet you in person, but to provide some guidance, some consideration, and maybe even some inspiration for what might be next for them. And how much more opportunity there is as the industry unfolds. I mean, it doesn't take doesn't take much to follow the news and see how many jobs have been created in industries that didn't even exist 10 or 20 years ago. Today, I have a family member on my wife's side who's 
in a role and I'm like, you get paid to do that? He's like, yeah, I get paid really well. I'm like, that's legal? He goes, oh yeah, that's legal. He goes, man, they passed that legal now here in Illinois. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, I didn't know. You know, so many opportunities that open up around corners that we can't necessarily see around, but we have to approach them. And once we get there, it's like, oh, check and see what's there. So I I really take away uh, words of encouragement and possibilities. And sure, change is coming and change is here and change is only going to speed up. But, you know, the importance of quality work and professionalism is never going to go away. So I, I appreciate you echoing that and really reinforcing that in our time together. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on. It's embrace the change, be a professional, and you're going to do very, very well. Fantastic. Well, just so we're going to bring this to a close, John, thanks again. And to everyone listening, we appreciate it. Please continue to share. Uh, the feedback's fantastic. And really grateful that in some way or another, we're able to contribute to you, your advancement, or just, you know, just your sense of curiosity. With that, have a great day until our next session. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pavru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. We hope you enjoyed learning from the amazing life paths and achievements of our guests. Don't forget to like us on LinkedIn and other podcast channels to hear more from appraisers and valuers regarding their life and their work. If you have any suggestions or questions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us a message on LinkedIn and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thanks again for listening. And until we're together again for the next session of Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. Create the change that you seek. 